From the unforgettable award-winning play comes the best picture of the year. Starring the best actor of the year. Sir Thomas More, you have been found guilty of high treason. The sentence of the courts... My lords, when I was practicing law, the manner was to ask the prisoner before pronouncing sentence if he had anything to say. Have you anything to say? Yes. This is the Master of Cinemacast. My name is Joachim. And my name's Tom. And today we have our standard guest almost, uh, Hunter Dusing. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey guys, great to be back. It's been a while. It's been a couple of years, I think. I think so. It seems like I come around every few years. The last time I was on, we did uh, Silence, the yes. uh, the the Japanese version, although we talked mm-hmm. a lot about the Scorsese one. Mm, yeah. Uh, but today we are talking about A Man for All Seasons, Fred Cinnamon's movie from 1966. Uh, Cinnamon also had that High Noon release, uh, which got, I think it was December release, was it? Or November? November, I believe. November, yeah. Uh, which I haven't yet seen Master Cinema's version, but um, it's that's a classic Western movie. And Day of the Jackal is another favorite of mine from Cinnamon. He, uh, also, did, rela- oh, he also did oh. Oklahoma. <laughs> yes. Oklahoma, okay. <laughs> Do um, you have any relation to Cinnamon, Tom? Uh, from Here From Eternity was my first cinema okay. film. Um, I had those guys going through a bit of a Frank Sinatra phase mm. at the time, and I was um, I picked it up. And uh, yeah, I, I loved it. I haven't been back to it for quite a long time, but I did watch the High Noon uh, Blu-ray from Master Cinema, and it is definitely the best uh, version of that film that's ever been released. It's absolutely stay It'd probably be my Blu-ray of the year, possibly, mm. in terms of that. But um, yeah, Day of the Jackal as well. It was a, yeah. It's... Such a good film, so underrated. I think it should be sort of uh, worshipped more than it actually is. I believe. Mm-hmm. It's uh, from what I remember. It's been a good few years since I've seen it, but such a clinical, like analytical movie where you follow this um, this assassin, uh, this assassin, but you follow him in such a like a cold, emotionless way, almost. Well, I think the trick of him. Um, Day of the Jackal is the fact that we know that Charles de Gaulle wasn't assassinated, mm-hmm. but you still can't take your eyes off the film, mm-hmm. which is, is you know, it's almost like a spoiler, isn't it? The fact that you yeah. know he wasn't shot, but the fact that you can get so invested in the film. So <clears throat> it's really interesting because I think Fred, um, sorry, Zimmerman, he's, he's not really kind of held up as one of the great auteurs of mm. of, of directing, but I, I certainly think like um, Julia's another film, which I really like of his, but I do really think he's a, a really legitimately interesting voice in film. Mm. Didn't he make some films in Mexico? Because um, he has some films in that Martin Scorsese's uh, World Cinema set from Criterion. Or he has a movie in there, I think, that he did. Oh, really? With, I'm yeah, not, I'm with not the familiar. Yeah, I can't remember which one it is because uh, I don't have the set. I just have the, I have the second set, but I don't have that one. But I remember looking and going, Fred Zinnemann, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. World Cinema? Fred Zinnemann? What? <laughs> no, I'm not aware of that. I'll double no, check. Neither, yeah. Um, but uh, A Man for All Seasons is um, the film he made based on Robert Bolt's play of the same name. Um, and the film is adapted to um, the screen by Bolt himself. And it deals with the final years of uh, the Lord Chancellor of England, Thomas More, who refuses to sign a letter to the Pope asking to annul King Henry VIII's marriage to Catherine and refuse to take an oath of supremacy, declaring Henry VIII the supreme head of Church of England. So 
the premise of the film, it feels like it invites this sort of fear of the very stagey, dreary, stagnant film. Um, but I feel like the the, the actor's performance uh, elevates this to excellent heights uh, at times. It's very it's very expressive, uh, vibrant, and eye catching and. I feel like the production is something that you you can't miss. It's uh, something that will catch your eye definitely. Yeah, it's really like, weird. Sorry, you go, oh, Hannah. You oh, go. I was just gonna say, uh, you know, this is based on a play, and so sometimes I think people go, "Oh, is this gonna be something that you know is kind of restricted to a room <laughs> or something like that?" But uh, it no, it's adapted quite well for the screen. In fact. A version of it that does feel more like the play is uh, the Charlton Heston version of the film. Mm. Yes, that's made uh, for TV, was it not? Yeah, Charlton Heston directed and starred in a version of this in the 90s, um, which also features uh, Vanessa Redgrave, um, oh. who she plays uh, Alice Moore in it. Mm. Um, but it's it's much more like the play in that there is a sort of Brechtian everyman character Mm-hmm. that talks to the camera breaks the fourth wall and mm-hmm. that that's straight out of the play but that character sort of parsed out to a bunch of other side characters in the Zinnemann film that we're talking about but uh but that film that that Heston did is much more stagey it's much more like the the stage play mm-hmm. it's interesting um, you mentioned Berthold Brecht because this film um he's Robert Bolt's actual inspiration for this film was a Brecht play um but about Galileo and, Interesting, and it was about the fact you know obviously Galileo um, was observing reality, and everyone around him was sort of in denial of the reality that he saw. So mm. he that that actually formed the basis for him wanting to write this film. And um, as I understand, that the character you were talking about there, Hunter, this sort of like uh, the, the this everyman character who was kind of explained that was ditched quite early and Zinnemann apparently wanted the film to be a lot more theatrical and it was actually Bolt himself who was quite um forthright when he was like no I, I need to turn this into a film we need to move it away from its theatrical roots well and, and it's- Bolt is a very good screenwriter I mean oh, he's he, one of the best I you mean, like I, he's I, not I just a playwright he wrote the script for Dr. Zhivago Lawrence of Arabia, Arabia uh, The Mission, you know, yeah. another another film beloved by Catholics. Oh, um, and, and and Ryan's daughter, which is yeah, I, I think oh, pers- yeah, yeah. I personally would probably one of the most underrated films ever. And I possibly prefer it even to Lawrence of Arabia, but I'm not trying to be some sort of a hipster kind of twat when it comes to David Lean films. <laughs> but I, I, he, he no, he's he's an amazing screenwriter. I mean he did um, The Bounty as well. I don't know if you've ever seen that. The uh, Oh yeah, yeah. Is yeah. it the Roger Donaldson I think directed? The, the one with Mel Gibson, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah, was I... which is it's just truncated first. There was a there was gonna be a two film bounty uh date with him and david lean worked on for years and that's like the truncated version which is still a really interesting film actually i, I, I really enjoy it yeah i got mm. the kino lorber release of that recently but i haven't watched it yet but i saw it was written by him and that made me you know keen to watch it yeah and he, um, he, robert um think about robert bolt as well he's a really interesting screenwriter because there was a whole kind of like wave of people like him who they were school teachers. They were English teachers who had kind of like did theatre as well. And he was one of those who managed to, he wrote some fairly decent plays, 
ended up working in films and sort of really kind of left behind his theatre roots and this kind of scholarly education that he had and and, and that life to become like quite a Hollywood film, you know, uh, screenwriter. A lot of people sort of say now, oh, it would be best if he stuck to writing plays, which I actually don't agree with at all. I I I don't agree with that at all. No, I don't. I don't. I, I think his films speak for themselves. I mean, you know, Lawrence of Arabia, I mean, I mean, you know, what I mean, like if you, you, you he wrote Lawrence that of Arabia, a great play. Yeah, you know I mean, <laughs> it, he didn't do too badly when he put his mind to it, and um, it is quite a, I suppose his, his, his screenplay. There, are, there aren't that many credits to them. I mean, there's only like I think like twelve something like that, but they're all really interesting, I think, <clears throat> films, and there are <clears throat> there, there's through lines in all of them which we can get to when we talk about this more. But I, I, I think you. Know, personally that he, he he made a good choice when he decided to uh, give films a try mm. and it feels like he is making an effort to remove this from the staginess of the play he is moving it outdoors he's he's using the river in a very interesting way like connecting these different rooms to one another with how they travel between the rooms as well and well, he there is like a geography in the film that he he makes a point of showing yeah well i mean to, to to, to give some context when I first watched this film and I knew it was based on a play I actually felt it was quite stagey and the mm. more I've watched it the more cinematic I found it and the more I can see how he has used like you were saying about how he's used the river how the river to give some sense of the geography of this film his house to um, the palace is about 10 miles so he uses the river as this kind of it's every time he goes back up and down it the stakes are slightly higher Mm. and it seems that and that's a very i think cinematic thing to do Mm. the fact that each time there's this kind of the weight of the film the weight of what he's doing actually increases and it was watching it on the last viewing how cinematic i found that the shots of the river at dawn at dusk and that kind of that device to move the story along i thought that's something you cannot do on a stage you it's something which is uniquely cinematic and it was mm. quite it was quite interesting to me when i sort of made i i realized i realized i was watching a film rather than a film of a play i think at that point i've had mm. the same i've had the same experience with it because the first time i saw it i went oh yeah of course it's based on a play because there's mm. you know some lengthy scenes with uh in-depth dialogue but uh the last time i watched it for this podcast i was uh I was thinking the same thing about how cinematic it is, um, how beautiful the photography is. Um, and also, like, you know, you talked about the river. There's also a thing with um, with the sets and how the sets and costumes change throughout the play as the, the power structure changes. Um, Moore's house becomes more stripped down. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas his friends, like cause, uh, the English Reformation, a lot of people got rich off of it. And John Hurt's character, Richard Rich, uh, his outfits become more and more opulent <laughs> yeah. as the film goes on, while more He's becomes so more and more degraded, you know, and his family, like, you know, they their house kind of becomes just an empty, uh, it's almost like a tomb, you know, <laughs> with, uh, with wind blowing through it. But yeah, I had that same experience, uh, Tom. Uh, whereas the the Heston version uh, is decidedly less cinematic, it's more straight on dialogue, mm. you know, play, like a play. I'd kind of the 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 opposite development of YouTube. Whereas the first time I saw it, I 
I really enjoyed it. I was riveted with it. I I could I could appreciate the both the visuals and the performances and just the structure of the film. But as I've been watching it like three or four or five times now, uh, I think if we had done this recording a month ago when we was originally supposed to, I would have been praising this movie. But as I've seen it a couple of more times now, I feel like all of the interesting aspects of the film are within that first act where where the river is introduced, the characters are introduced, the 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 gist of the story is like laid out. And the rest of the film for me feels like an intellectual exercise with some uh, beautiful visuals sparse throughout, but I feel like mostly the film is more interested in the discussions and the the trials of Thomas More uh, rather than keeping me in the argument that they are making. I feel like well, in the the first act has the most colorful performances too. You've got uh, Orson Welles as Cardinal yeah. Wolsey. Um, you have a a you know scene stealing performance with Robert Shaw as a wonderful King Henry the Eighth. Yes, mm-hmm. um, absolutely. I mean, that is a one of the most memorable scenes. Um, I think Shaw really captures Henry's mercurial nature. Henry VIII, when you read about him, he almost sounds like a, a little kid um, mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, loves to dance, loves horseback riding, just loves to have fun, but is also a slave to his passions. Mm-hmm. And, um, is a sl- and when he wants candy he gets candy you know <laughs> yeah. he's gonna get it but well, uh, so, so I, just to go on just to go on um, henry the eighth can, hmm. can i get vaguely political here sure sure go on because i was watching it and i thought this is someone who he was never supposed to be king it was actually his right. brother it was actually his brother who was supposed mm-hmm. to be king and he got the job and he kind of treated it like let's have some fun and it, <laughs> it i can't deny it reminded me a little bit of a one donald trump because yep. I thought I was sat there thinking this guy is a fucking moron <laughs> and he's like bounding around and having fun as I would if I was president to be fair but I, I, I did sort of think to myself as I was watching it like Robert Shaw has this kind of eyes in the headlights type performance where he's kind of he just looks like he's having a good time mm-hmm. and he wants a bit oh, yes. of fun and a bit of fun and I, I was thinking yeah there's there's a bit of Donald in there I and when, when, and you know, and Donald Trump is a very mercurial personality. Mm. Um, whatever's in front of his face seems to be what's more important, most important yeah. to him. Yeah. Um, he, he is very much like he'll say one, he'll be, he'll say one thing on his constituency will be one group on Tuesday and then another one on Wednesday, depending mm. on who he's talking to, you know, and you might say, well, he's a, that's what politicians do. But with him, it's more like out in the open. Yeah. I, I think, time. I think with Don, I think, I, I think with Donald, if like, if if civil if like nuclear war was on the horizon and you like you were sat down with him you went this is this is really bad what's going to happen and someone else came in and said hey have you seen this video on youtube he'd be like shit let's watch this video on youtube what's going on and i, I, I think he's like yes yeah, he's like a crazy like a child crazy man well and, yeah and he's... henry VIII in this as robert shaw's performance in this he has that sort of it's this craziness to him and this sort of like oh everything's just going to be fine you know this will just be fun won't it be fun and what he doesn't actually realize is that he's actually coming up against sort of entrenched beliefs and tradition 
and the conflict in the film, I think, and just don't forget, he, he's only in the film for like 12 minutes, but his yeah. presence in this film goes throughout the entire thing. And it mm. is on the strength of that performance by Shaw as well, that you remember him all the time. Mm. I, I, I think, I, I, sorry. Yeah. No, I think that one of, this, one of the strengths of Shaw's, um, like how he portrays Henry Date is how he like immediately when he jumps out of the boat and he he gets dirty uh, on his trousers yes. he gets mud on the trousers he seems to revere in that they others fear how he will like how he will uh, react to getting dirty he he enjoys watching them not know how he's going to react and it yeah. feels like that that is the pleasure that he has control and power over everyone else well, and yeah. when when it comes to a like an area where he knows i'm not going to be as good in latin as this girl i will find another thing that i can yeah. be the master of yeah and it reminded me of what well, it's really interesting what you said there it reminded me of seeing the um the netflix series narcos i think it's the first or second series where um pablo escobar's in prison and they're playing football and this guy mm -hmm. tack this mm. guy tackles him and they're all like shit how is he going to react and he just yeah. turns around and he goes oh it's just the game and it's like that 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 little bit of that flash of power where yeah. everyone is like oh god he's going to murder me and the guy that's tackled <laughs> him's like shit 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 and uh, yeah like you said i i think he has that despotness to him where yeah. he's like he is if he just suddenly decides to do something that's what's going to happen and it's, and it's vaguely terrifying, I think. Yeah, and, you know, because when they have him over for dinner, but as soon as his mood darkens, he leaves. Yeah. Um, and and when it, it darkens quickly. Um, but Henry VIII, he was, he was very, in the issues of the Reformation and theology, he was very complex. You know, he seemed to believe that he was in mortal sin with his wife Catherine because she was supposed to marry his she married his brother but the mm -hmm. marriage was never consummated and his brother died and so he ended up marrying her but um but uh he was sort of in enthralled by uh Anne Boleyn but the uh but he was given the title defender of the faith by the pope because he wrote a or you know Thomas More probably wrote but it had King Henry's name on it and I think they they mentioned that in the film that um, he was, he, you know, he wrote a thing defending the sacraments of the church uh, when Luther was very popular at this time. Um, but he wanted to be the, he talked about the divine right of kings. I have the right to divorce my wife. I don't need the Pope. And, hmm. but he still like wanted the church to continue business as usual with the liturgy and the sacraments and everything. Um, it was just that issue of I want a divorce <laughs> and, and I think it's, it's, it's worth just like taking taking a stock really because I think like one of the things that this film captures is how legitimately terrifying living in that time would have been mm. oh yeah absolutely and, and, and then we have it now to a degree with like cancel culture where if you oh make, absolutely well like and, I, and it's really the parallels between and I'm not saying people have their heads cut off or anything as melodramatic as that but your life now can end effectively like your professional life can end with the wrong thing if you say one thing or do what one thing well wrong. even if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time yeah you can you looks can, bad on a video or something yeah you, you can literally and it's like those um 
those kids were that uh, was it the Congleton High School kids Covington or Catholic High yeah, yeah 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 like that that thing where you had that fourteen year old boy being absolutely destroyed mm-hmm. by on 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 social media for basically as we later found out he was just reacting to an extremely awkward situation very very tense situation yeah and and, and it was like the smile was his patriarchal privilege and all this type of thing or and it's that, a defense mechanism yeah or or, or, or he's or, or, or he's just a kid in an extremely yeah, exactly. awkward position i mean i'm just like you know it, i tend to smile and laugh when i'm yeah. in uh yeah like in situations because it's yeah. it's a diffusing mechanism but mm. it was literally a child in an awful situation and this poor kid got like it was just end him put him in a fucking cage with animals murder. oh i saw people calling like you know he needs to be physically punished you yeah, know? yeah and, yeah, and, and, and yeah. even and it was very shameful because he was um the, even the bishop of his diocese threw him under the bus just immediately yeah. like yeah, reacting I, to it and when i was watching this film it reminded i i think there's parallel i think there's a lesson in this film which i i've really sort of taken on board when i was watching it where if you I mean, and we can get into like Thomas More's reasoning and all that kind of stuff, but I feel it does have a relevant uh, relevancy to the modern world because well, what you and- see in this, which is, if you are in the wrong, if you are of the, if you are perceived to be in the wrong side, that's it. You you are cancelled. You are mocked. You are, you know, literally stuck up and said, "This is you're the worst person on earth." And I felt that re- I really resonated with me seeing this film again. And uh, I, I will, I'll also say too that there's something about Thomas More, the the way he is so interested in language in this movie, because a lot of it, like that cancel culture stuff, it comes down to language and are you willing to um, to to kind of speak in the parlance of our times? Are you you know are you willing to go along with that? And Thomas More, you know, every time they they say, "Well, you say, are you saying that uh, that you know that the 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 daughter of Henry VIII is not a legitimate heir?" No, I never said that. He's very entrenched in what what mm-hmm. he is saying and what his words mean. And there's a there's a great scene where his More's uh, son-in-law to be a guy who's courting his daughter. He says, "I would cut down every law." in the land to get to the death if it meant catching the devil hmm. and then he said and, and and when every tree is cut down where will you hide you know the law is there to protect you <laughs> you know and if you're willing hmm. to destroy that in order to get what you want be very careful because that can turn on you in an instant yeah this and is it, this was made in 1966 like right at the end of the the great studio era uh, mm-hmm. with we have more like independent, low-budget, gritty films. Mm. They're coming right around the corner. Corman's so, coming around, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So is this kind of a comment on like principles and, I don't know, the principles in the modern era of keeping... Well, I, well, I think it's, it's, it's interesting you say that about this film because this was made like... This was a very, very low-budget film mm. um, and it was made kind of... there was. A lot of that because it was such a successful play a lot of actors and a lot of studios were interested in it and mm-hmm. they basically managed to kind of go off and do their own thing free of the studio system mm-hmm. and they, they sort of like decamped to england and made it and i think that that is part of its um appeal 
to me because I do feel like it's there's a lot of big things being discussed here and I think, I don't know whether or not if it was made under the umbrella of one of, I think it was Columbia that produced it, but I don't know if it was made more in kind of like the Hollywood system, whether it was, if it had, if it was more of a, because as, as well, the other thing is that A Manful Seasons was part of a cycle of quite big budget costume films that's mm. something like yeah, if you have like films like Camelot and, and and stuff like that, and this one always seems to me like kind of it's it's way more, it, it's made more. There's a lot of themes. There's, there seems to be a lot more going on in it once you get into the minutia of the conversations mm. and the issues that it's raising and the kind of it's kind of the bigger budget stuff that was going on at the time. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and it's it's a movie too that I think. Um if you read about the English Reformation, it's very interesting to kind of follow which characters are which, especially if you know them in the context of their lives, like Thomas Cranmer, like, uh, you know, uh, Thomas Cromwell. Um, and, uh, you know, it, there's some, there's some fig figures who aren't mentioned like John, I think, well, John Fisher's mentioned the Bishop, the, the one Bishop who dissented. Did they talk about him in the film? I can't remember. I don't recall. No. Uh, uh, well, he was he was the other English martyr. He was the one bishop who wouldn't go along, and he was also executed. Um, it, you you will find most of these people, and so like Thomas Cromwell ended up having his head removed. And oh yeah, um, I I think it was like I think pretty much in those. Like, go back to those days. You know, wrong think at those times was punishable by having your head removed. Now you just get hmm. a pasting on Twitter. So. You know. Yeah, I mean, all, all these people died violently. Uh, Thomas Cranmer was burned alive. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, Cranmer, uh, you know, is the guy who basically wrote the, like, English liturgy, basically. If you attend a Episcopal or Anglican church or a, a Catholic ordinariate parish, you will, you, you're, Thomas Cranmer wrote a lot of those prayers. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think when, there was a brief moment where, uh, after Henry's reign where Catholicism sort of came back with a vengeance. And I think that was the end for Thomas Cranmer. But, uh, but you know, but Cromwell, I, I, I read this book by Hilaire Belloc called Characters of the Reformation, which is a very interesting book about the English Reformation. And he talked about how, you know, Henry VIII had, you know, people handling him basically. For a while it was Tom Cromwell and then when Henry kind of would figure out how these people actually secretly despised them, he would have them killed. But Anne Boleyn, the same thing happened to her. She was one of his handlers, uh, sort of controlled. People would figure out they could control him, but he would he would eventually turn on them. Um, so you know, uh, when you it's interesting to read about this this era of history because we just get the this sort of story about um, Saint Thomas More, but. Uh, but the you know it's interesting to see what happened to all the other people. They mention it at the end that Cromwell was executed. Hmm. Um, I don't know if they mention Cranmer, but uh, that, that Richard Rich died peacefully in his bed. <laughs> Wait, like, I mean, have you, have, you, have you seen The Irishman yet? Where it keeps showing uh, you like you know, he, no, he, 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 it was say like oh this is such a body uh, murdered violently something. And then there's one guy and it was like loved by all, died of died peacefully in his sleep in 1982 <laughs> and it was, it was it was a really kind of like in, in what was quite a heavy film it was a, it was a slightly light moment but it's quite interesting because as well with um thomas moore it's like and i guess i get your opinions on this but there's in this film he's so virtuous it's unbelievable and i feel like a lot of the scenes are sort of like they're there where 
at the start of the conversation during these scenes, someone's saying something that's slightly stupid, and then by the end of it, he's sort of like they feed him so he can sort of like educate them as to why they're wrong and mm. his his virtue. But this is the thing. I mean, the more you read about Thomas More, there are certain grey areas. Apparently, he had his private torture chamber. Um, oh. he was... I've heard. I've heard those stories. Yeah, I don't yeah. know and if he, I believe he, them, but yeah. Well, this is it. This is it. I, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, apparently, he was quite up for burning people alive. So, apparently, there's there's some there's some grey areas there, and I don't know whether that's like. Um, the whole kind of thing with Napoleon, where like in the aftermath of his death, like it was quite fashionable to say he was a lot worse than he actually mm-hmm. was, and oh, all that yeah. kind of thing. A lot of yeah. the myths about Napoleon were spread by his enemies, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. And, I mean, and with Thomas More, it wouldn't surprise me if it was the same thing, because I mean, I've read a bit, a lot about Thomas More, and I've never read anything about torture chambers. Yeah. The place where I've I've seen I I haven't seen the show, but I've heard the Tudors, the TV show, depicts yes. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, I, I, again, I, I sort of fall under the category of I'm not particularly bothered about historical accuracy in films. I sort, mm-hmm. I'm quite happy to go into them on the basis. It's like, you know, uh, you cannot do like anything 100% historically true. So when I go into these types of films, I'm always aware of the fact that I'm, I'm judging it on the basis of the film that's put before me. I'm not really mm-hmm. that bothered by the fact that, you know, he might have had torture chambers and had been quite an advocate of burning people and it could have been and what it could be it could be one of those things where we're sort of by association because he was a a lawyer you know perhaps perhaps he found some he he argued for someone being guilty and therefore they got yeah yeah. something you know therefore he's a he burns people you know i don't know it could but that could be what we're we're seeing here i don't know yeah Um, and it's 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 when i go into this film it's like i don't come in i don't go into it thinking oh this is a historical document no. i think that's i think i mean people do that with films i think then you, you're setting yourself up to fail and it's yeah. one well, of the reasons why like with anything anytime i i see a film that interests me historically you know i usually go read about it yeah exactly um, no and, i do it you know, i never do, it, I do the never same take, thing yeah never take a film at face value uh, you know, because there's always something changed for, uh, you know, drama or for license, you know, and so much of people's historical understanding comes from films. But, you know, I always tell my students, if a movie that's based on history interests you, read a book about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a book about this, you know, I'd recommend is Hilaire Belloc's Characters of the Reformation. Each book, the book is chapters on different people from the English Reformation with kind of biographical sketches. And of, of course, Belloc was a Catholic. So, you know, it's, you're going to get it from that viewpoint, but it's a very interesting read. Um, uh, you know, he has chapters on Cranmer, Pope Clement the seventh, uh, St. Thomas More, uh, you know, and then later figures like, um, like William Cecil, Mary Stewart, Queen Elizabeth, people <laughs> like that. It's a very, very good book. I think well, this the is main issue, like, sorry, uh, the main issue I have, like, against Moore's character in the film is exactly that there's a lack of conflict there. I feel like his martyrdom almost is fairly one-sided so much that I was I was kind of wishing for some sort of internal conflict which would perhaps engage me more in his predicament because I think close to everyone else is portrayed as weak or stupid or ambivalent or cowardly or childish or corrupt in Richie Rich case. So I think <laughs> Richie Moore Rich is... is the most hilarious corrupt man on the planet. <laughs> I mean, well, he's, he so is pathet- he's but... so pathetic, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He's but more, he, he comes across as like the good, the righteous, the omniscient, and perhaps a bit too 
too romantic perhaps but i feel like his like you were saying his character is there to set everyone straight almost a lot of the scenes do play out that way for me it's like he'll mm. like the the do you know what the, the, the dialogue actually reminds me of something like aaron sorkin or something like that oh yeah it has it has a Very real much. sort of it has a real um flow to it and a kind of like the, the, the comebacks and the, the way sort of like, yeah like the way sort of sides people through and again I, I come back to the idea that I, I think a lot of the times where I, I find perhaps the film doesn't get me so much is that I do feel like a lot of the scenes are just there to make him at the end go uh-huh you're wrong and this mm-hmm. is why and I'm and I'm right but I always I always think the conflict in this and, and what I think comes back to me is that mm. it's it's him it, the conflict is, is in him and yeah. it's his it's his unwavering I suppose belief that he's right and that he's not going to change tax that has me coming back because it's fascinating to watch because it's the easy thing to do it's just to go <laughs> do you know what I'll just sign it and we'll we'll crack on well, that's what everybody it, else did you know yeah. they just went along with it yeah and, yeah. and, and he, he and he doesn't he's a fanatic in a way and and I think there's something that I sort of see a virtuousness in that, to be brutally honest with you. And it's why I sort of, to me, the film becomes quite tragic as he kind of because it's, you know, he's a family man and he he's obviously you know a, 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 in a position of power and he just forgoes all that because he won't change who he is deep down. And I think that's something which, again, in our age of cancel culture and you can easily be swept along to say or think things which are more acceptable than people are telling you they are. And I think that's why I, f- I find it very relevant. Well, and, and, you know, I think for me, the conflict with more in the film is what do the words say? And he's very much like, I'm, I'm not going to say anything that will incriminate me, but I also won't say anything that compromises my, my view. Now, there's the scene where the oath comes down that he, ha- he everybody has to take and his daughter's panicking and he says, well, what does it say? You know, yeah. <laughs> if, if there's a part, if, if the words are, are, are worded as such, we, perhaps we can take it. You know, he's, he's very much, um, he's trying to, he tries to use the law to save himself, hmm. but well, he's also a- not, he's also not going to. Uh, compromise. He's also not going to say anything that he doesn't believe. And at the ver- the climax of the film, when he's been betrayed and he's perjured, and uh, he's a dead man, as he announces, that's when he decides to stand up and condemn. You know the the st- the what's going on. Um, anyway, sorry, Tom. What? Oh no, I say actually one of the things about you know when I realized how cinematic this film was was a bit with the daughter and he's like oh you know we'll we'll, we'll look at this we're going to see what we can do about taking the oaths and then you get like a match cut and I think it's like a point of view shot to just bars and he's mm-hmm. in prison and it's obvious that he hasn't you know he, he didn't find anything in there that he yeah. kind of and, and <laughs> it, 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 he obviously looks at the text and he just went no I, I can't do I can't this and then the, through the, through the kind of like the Zinnemann's cinematic eye and that's a uniquely cinematic moment where you go where you go from a guy sort of going well you know i'll have a look to Mm -hmm. i'm in prison and you can fill in the blanks then Mm -hmm. because you know what happened he didn't take the oath and they went right you're going to the tower of london Mm -hmm. and that that's why i think 
again, it comes back to this idea that it took a few viewings to kind of get over the theatricality of the film and see mm. it as, as, a, as a work of cinema. But it's one of the best moments in the film, I think, because it just says so much about well, him. If you can, and if his you character. can get uh, any time, you can just say a lot with one cut. It's yeah. it's that's great, you know, in movies, um, mm. you know, Lawrence blowing the match out and we're in the yeah. desert, you know, just anything like that. You know, just just that's you know you live for those moments in movies where just a cut can can communicate so much. Um, I think like the yeah, but I think my main issue with like Schofield's portrayal is that it's such an it's such an irrational, intelligent, analytical approach to his conflict that I don't I don't really see the anguish in his performance or anguish in his face or the emotion that is there. I feel like he's constantly debating it, but there's never really any any heart in it for me. Um, I feel like he's always his well, actually, wit no, I, is is what he's really driving at. No, I don't I, get I don't get that at all. I actually think it's like this is someone who literally believes that there's no way they're wrong. And it's like that there isn't any conflict because he knows that he's right and that there isn't any sort of self-doubt because he knows that he's right. And he just... That's, that's what I have an issue with, that there is nothing that is going to change his mind or waver him. And we don't even see the relation is... We don't even see the relational cost, I think, in a big degree or how it's affecting his relations with his, the people around him. Oh, well, I felt like no, his no, family no, was him. getting pretty full. No, no, I mean, I, I, would, I would sort of come to this. Is there anything in your life that you are 100% totally convinced is right? Or you, you, you know that you know 100% that there's nothing that could change your mind on it? Probably not, I would say. Really? <laughs> I would say, I, because I'm more, I think, I would say that most of my opinions would always be, um, they would always be subject to the circumstances. So, because I, we never know how we might react if we are put in extreme situations. No, but not, not even that, like something like, you know, something which you believe to be 100% true. Yeah. You don't have anything like that. Mm. Water is wet. What? Yes, no. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like, yeah, something bigger than that, though. Like, I mean, I, I know. I'm, I, just I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Cer- there are certain things which you cannot convince me that of your opinion that I would change like my mind. Religion on. is yeah, a thing yeah. for me. Like, um, I'm never going to be religious. I'm never going to yeah. believe. In I would. God, I would 100% so. don't believe there's a god. But, 100%. And there is nothing you could say without. Mm-hmm. And, and, and literally. For me to believe, I need I need literally God to come out the clouds. Mm-hmm. That that would be my. Then I'd say right, it exists. There was nothing anyone could say or try and convince me that would change my mind. One hundred percent. That there's nothing you could show unless literally, if you put the man himself in front of me, I'd say, do you know what? I was wrong. But until that happens, I am one hundred percent. I'm right. And I fu- that's what I think about this film. There is no internal conflict. I don't sort of walk around sometimes thinking, well, there might be, there might not be. I mean, you let me think about it. But when I'm, no, when you're I'm not, you're not like Woody Allen and Hannah and her sisters. Where... <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's, it, it's, it's like, yeah, and, and, and I'm sure Hunter is the complete opposite because I know you're yes. a, a Catholic. I know you're a, you're a religious person. There's probably nothing I could do to tell you 
or try and convince you that there isn't a god, is there? You would, you would Correct. say... If, if, I mean, yeah. like, I, I have no idea what would happen if I was put in an extreme situation. But my my fear of, you know, like, the, 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 the belief is such that, you know, if you were to say, right, if you uh, it, uh, apostatize or I'll kill you, I would have to choose death. That's where my moral compass is. Now, I don't know what would happen if I was put in an extreme situation. There's a chance that I would chicken out, but, um, and I'm not, you know, but I would hope that wouldn't happen. Um, but, you know, that's, that, but, but that is, that, that is, but that's where I am. You know, it's the opposite. That is exactly like the internal conflict I'm talking about is not if, or if he does or doesn't believe that he could, um, that, uh, the, that Henry is right or not. The internal conflict I'm talking about is how will this affect the people around me? How will, am I afraid of my life? Um, well, no, that's, 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 that's the point. Put in such a, when you're put in such an extreme situation, I think that the human response would be that there would be some sort of like inner battle between mm-hmm. is this really worth giving but, my own life for? And I don't really feel like he's talking about it in an intellectual analytical way but i don't feel like he is presenting it in an emotional like i'm scared for my life because i'm going to die but that's the whole um, point i think i think he's well, like, and he's wait. he is convinced that i thomas more he, he says to the headsman you are bringing me to god yeah. you know he 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 is he is saying i'm going to the, you bring yeah. me to the father you know i'm going to heaven so he's not really too worried about it because he that, that's, genuinely that, that's the in thing it. that, that yeah, that's the thing. It's like, in him, the reason there isn't a conflict, because it's like, he's like, well, if you kill me, I'm just going to a better place anyway. Mm. That there's, no, he, he's dying for the most virtuous thing in his life. And I hate to invoke kind of, you know, religion again, but that's why I think people struggle sometimes to really understand the motives of when we have like suicide bombers. We always try and look at these kind of Mm-hmm. completely irrelevant points that oh, they were bullied it was this and it was that no these people do it because they, they be- think they, 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 they believe think it. that's yeah they, they believe it and I, I i think one of the problems is is we don't believe what they're telling us and yeah. I, I, we try we try and rationalize it in a way which makes it more um easier to for us to digest but these people literally believe those 9-11 hijackers they weren't stupid they weren't imbeciles they were very well educated upper middle class men who literally that day thought they would end their lives and they would go to paradise. And it's terrifying to think that it's actually true. I can't imagine being like what you just said then, Hunter, about, you know, if someone said apostatize or die and you were like, well, I'd, I'd rather die. I can't imagine having anything I would feel that strongly about or that, you know, that, that meant that much to me. And, it's, mm-hmm. and what I see when I watch this film is that Thomas More, the reason why I think he can actually rationalise it all is because he is 100% right. Kill me, I'm going to a better place anyway. Mm. So, you, you, you know, it's a win-win for him and he's never, ever going to say And we know through history, by virtue of the fact that he did have his head cut off, that he saw through his principles. And it, although it's very hard for me to understand the rationale behind those principles and what, what he's doing, what he's done, because I don't believe in what he believes, I can't help but admire it. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting, too, because, you know, the last movie we talked about also dealt with martyrdom. Um, but there's, it, a, there's it, a theme here. There's a theme here. Yeah. <laughs> but in silence, the 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 father Rodriguez apostatizes. Mm-hmm. He 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 gives in. Um, 
and uh, the circumstances are quite different. But I think it's interesting that um, we've looked at two films that are two. One is a man who becomes a martyr, and the other one is a man who does not. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's it's kind of interesting to look at that. Mm. But uh, you know, but you know, the 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 church is full of martyrs. Uh, you know, also with the English Reformation, Saint John Fisher. But there's um. There's a, a lot of people who they died because they believed this stuff, you know, in the, in, you know, in the, uh, the, the church. Uh, there's many, many, many of them. And, you know, as they said, the blood of martyrs is the, 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 the seed of the church. You know, that's what, that's what spreads the faith. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, hmm. it's hard. For, it, I think it's hard for us to, to realize because, you know, our world is much more secular now. Hmm. And, um, but I, I, I really don't like the, uh, the thing that I have an issue with is not like, like I can understand that he, he truly believes believe sure, sure, his sure. rationale, but it doesn't really engage me in a dramatic right. level watching a man who is that level minded. Oh, right. it does you, me. No, I, I think, I think so. the complete opposite for me. I hmm. find it fascinating. I, I legitimately think that's like that is what is interesting for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah same, totally. Same I, I, well. I, I watch that and I think, Christ, there's nothing in my life that I'm that. Like, I mean, I won't ever be in a position mm. to like. I mean, Christ, if did ISIS take over this country, I might be in trouble. But <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But it's I, I find that fascinating that someone mm. can be that dedicated. He calls, and you, know, you see it through history, don't you? Like, I mean, like saying about like Galileo and like you know those. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, was it Cassini and people like that who were hung for daring to, because they looked at the planets mm. and went, well, you know, perhaps there's something here. And it was like, no, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're wrong. And, you know, they were put on trial and killed for it and all that kind of thing. I, I find that fascinating that people can be that devout and that sure of themselves that everything they're doing is right. And also how terrifying, like the thought of dying, I find terrifying but how the fact that they can be so sure that there's something on the other side, that death in itself becomes just another part of life. Mm. And it's just, you know, it's just a precursor to how you're going to spend eternity. I find that absolutely fascinating to watch. Mm. And in A Man for All Seasons, one of the reasons why I love Thomas More in this film so much is because there isn't those moments of self-doubt and reflection. He is absolutely 100% convinced that what he is doing is right. And I th it, there's a nobility to it, I think, which I, I, I struggle. Again, I, I, I wish I could be more like that to a degree, not that fanatical, mm. but I wish I could have that level of nobility, which is profoundly lacking in my life. He's not Max von Sydow's uh, knight in uh, The Seventh no, no. Seal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no. I actually, Tom, I wanted to ask you something. This is a little bit of a change of gears all mm. of a sudden. But... Yeah. um. There's a scene toward at the end of the film during the climax when uh, Richard Rich walks in and he's all decked out and he betrays Thomas More and he says Thomas says uh, to him he says that he's become like a uh, what what's his position in Wales that he oh, gets yeah. Yeah, he yeah, gets yeah. he gets uh, some some you know position in Wales and you know Rich's character is just a completely craven social climber and he finally gets this this position he wants and um more says richard it benefit a man not to sell the whole sell his soul for the whole world 
but for whales. <laughs> so yeah, I know I, where, I've I, noticed I, I, this. I know where we're going with this. Okay, I, I have noticed this in a lot of British movies that like <laughs> making fun of whales is a thing. Like right. uh, I was watching a Hard Day's Night the other day, and they thought the Beatles' performance wasn't going to go. He's like, I thought we were going to have the news in Welsh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so, like, and my, I, my wife was saying that, like, for some reason, like, they just love to bag on the Welsh. Like, <laughs> can you expound upon that? Yeah, I can actually. Yeah, it's a shithole. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I no right right. That, that's just that's just this backtrack there. Right, it's beautiful. <laughs> Parts of it are beautiful. Um, they don't really like English people. I've been in pubs in Wales before where they everyone just suddenly starts speaking Welsh, which sounds like you've got a cold and a bad <laughs> lisp. And yeah, it's it's a pretty grim place. I don't think they overly like us. We're not so keen on them. <laughs> um, I would build a big fuck off wall between us and them. So like a bit, you should a big run on wall. that. We'll we'll build a wall and we'll make the Welsh pay for it. Exactly. I'd, I'd make the Scots paid for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's even so, like, better. Yeah, I, I, I say I'm going to build a wall, and Scotland's paying for it. No, I, it's it's a tough one. I, I've not I've not really got much nice things to say about Wales, other than the fact it's pretty beautiful. And there was a decent mm. festival there I used to go to called Festival Number no. Six, which was sort of based on the Prisoner TV series. But um, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. But that those towns, man, Jesus Christ, they're pretty grim. In short, Wales, no, don't go there. Okay. Mount Snowden's nice, but but on the whole, I would probably avoid. So yeah, we need to talk about uh, Richard Rich um, because I mean that character he is, I think he he sort of symbolises the the exact opposite of Thomas More. He symbolises yeah. one who is completely fluid and does whatever would benefit him the most, and he does it in such a like groveling pitiful way john hurt it's it's quite a performance to watch him uh, rise through the ranks yeah and he starts out the film like begging thomas for whatever position he'll give him and thomas mm. more sort of just goes well, listen just go be a teacher you'll be good at that you know mm. um but uh you know and yeah but his character is one of these people who you know the reformation was an opportunity to um to enrich himself and that's what he did but that's uh that's you know he kind of symbolizes that kind of new english uh, aristocracy that kind of rose this new money that rose out of it yeah it's um, a, as, as well like it, it reminds me as well of just how good john hurt was mm-hmm. and, and and his character is so unlikable in this and so <laughs> pathetic but also you sort of do feel a bit sorry for him there in is a, way, a softness like, in his yeah voice. Yeah, you do pity him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's like, yeah, he's, he's hero worshiping a lot, and he just wants a bit of, a, a bit of love, doesn't he? And a bit yeah. of kind of, and he's like, just go and be a teacher, you'll be fine. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a strange one. It's a strange character. It makes me feel very conflicted to be brutally honest with you, because at the end, when he betrays him, you're just like, you're a massive asshole. But I'm sure, <laughs> did, I'm sure, did he not have his head removed? He must have done it at some stage. I can't believe that yeah. he didn't. <laughs> um. What about uh, Orson Welles as Cardinal Wolsey? I mean, um, that's another character that leaves a big impression on the film for me. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, Anything with Orson Welles. It's the voice. Yeah. yeah with the voice Wells. and just how the makeup. He looks, I was going to say, like, Orson Welles looks like he's, I mean, and his character is at death's door. Yeah. But man, you know. He you looks forget. beyond. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Orson Welles, he looks, I think he looks even worse than he did in um, Touch of Evil. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I know they made the um, the set. They they made the set deliberately small to make mm. him seem even more sort mm. of grotesquely big. It, it mm. worked. Um, yeah. But uh, I think his character is played by John Gielgud in the uh, the the Charlton Heston one, a much leaner actor. But I tell you what, one thing this film did remind me of again, mm. like there were times where it reminded me of Shakespeare in Love, like the. Yeah, like the the, the taxi Ooh, drivers, years. the taxi drivers down the river and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and I think that I, I could see it borrowed quite heavily. I think from this film. Oh, but. Yeah. but no, I I think for me this is I know, uh, I think I'm kind of with you, Tom. Where this movie kind of goes up every time I watch it in my estimation, um, hmm. and a movie that's very similar to it that I highly recommend as well is uh, Beckett. Oh yes, yeah. Yeah, uh, the the uh, Hal Wallace production, of, and it's about another English saint, uh, Saint Thomas Becket. Um, and the Peter O'Toole gives a performance in that. Is uh, is he Henry the Third? Um, oh God knows. I, I'm not. I, do you know what British monarchies? And think I'm not that that up on. I've got to right. Be really I yeah, know he, Queen Elizabeth from the Crown. But that's about right. as far as I go. <laughs> no, he plays Henry the Second. Sorry, uh, and uh, Peter. And it is a one of O'Toole's most entertaining performances, I think. Hmm. But uh, that's a that's also a great film. That's very similar about a king and a um, a a conflict over uh, re- over religion, but it's more about power, really. But right. it's a it's a it's a very good film. If you like this movie, um, I think Beckett. You know, I think people would find that one more just straight up entertaining. Because mm. it's like if you had the Robert Shaw's Henry VIII throughout the whole film, you know, right. <laughs> you know, and you get to see those antics. But uh, it's a really terrific film, as well. Mm. Cut very similar, cut from the same cloth, out of the same, uh, you know, type of thing. It would very much appeal to a Catholic audience like this does. Yeah, I mean, as a Catholic as well, like I mean, like w- w- when you watch this film, I mean, does it have a kind of like a special resonance for you? I mean, yeah, you look d- at it and think you do, and you look at him and think like Thomas More. That's like a proper hero. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I have a a medal of his face <laughs> that I wear around my neck. I'm not even joking. <laughs> you know, I, I have a Thomas More medal that I wear um, because I think it is. Uh, it, it he is a a great example, I think, of a of a person to a virtue to strive for. <laughs> um, you know, he's one of the he's one of the saints that is very special to me. Hmm. It also reminded me a little bit about uh, the trial of Joan of Arc. This film, mm. yes, which is which also deals with like unva- unwavering uh, belief in something. Um, mm-hmm. No, totally, yeah. yeah. That, that's uh, you know really good, and it's again, I, I'm, I'm fascinated with these types of films mm. as someone who doesn't have the same beliefs as what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. I, I find it quite conflicting, you know, when I'm watching them. But it's, I, it's, I, I, yeah, sorry. No, I, I, I sort of like see like I, I feel like that's something missing in my mm. life, as it were. Do you know, mm. that sort of unwavering like to be that devout mm. is a very foreign concept to me. Mm. I think um uh, those two examples kind of shows what or that because Trial of Joan of Arc is one of my favorite movies. Um We're talking about the dry the dry the dry version, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but there is there is something that she manages to tap into that um, I don't really get from the more character. But um, 
one thing I, I do enjoy from the Man for All Seasons is just watching the frustration of his comrades and watching the frustration of uh, the one who's doing the um, the Inquisition almost, the the questioning um, during down there where he says that he's trying to trap him into these like yes. illogical <laughs> fallacies or something. Just watching them trying their best to make him... Uh, turn or say something wrong is uh, quite amusing. Well, that's a, char- the genie a character, that- as far as that goes, a character who's quite entertaining that I think uh, is kind of underrated in the film is Nigel Davenport as the Duke of Norfolk. Yes. Um, he, he's just consistently frustrated yeah. <laughs> because he just wants this to go away. Yeah. He's not, he doesn't really particularly have any a dog in this fight. He just no. wants Thomas to sign it just so we can have this headache over with. He's just he's just yeah. constantly like, come on, dude, like let's just get this going. Yeah. But his 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 performance is very funny. I think mm. I like his his character quite a bit, uh, mm-hmm. just because he always just seems exasperated. You know, mm. like uh, you know, uh, the Thomas Cromwell, his character's a little more malevolent, a little more mm-hmm. uh, villainous. But but the Duke of Norfolk's just constantly like, okay, I guess we have to do this now, or. You know, it's just a headache I have to go through. Yeah. Um, I think we sort of winding up. Do you think? Or? I think so. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think think. Um, so, what version as well did you have? Under? Did you have the Blu-ray version of it? Or? I've got the the Masters of Cinema Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I actually thought that the the presentation of this is pretty great. To be brutally honest with you, I've only yeah. seen a few times. I think this is the definitive. Uh, seeing it on 1080p i think it it looks incredible i think that's one reason i liked it a lot more this time around because it was my first time watching it on blu-ray um and i just was taken by how good it looked um because the red there's the the colors really pop as well which i've never seen before those shots in the water as well they're they're amazing in this colorful uh presentation yeah yeah like the dvd that's out in region one here just doesn't (laughs) capture it as well i haven't seen i know it's come to blu-ray here on kind of a bare bones disc but um, but I think if you if if you're in the United States and you have a all region player, this the Masters of Cinema one is the definitive one because it's got some good features and stuff like that. It's a good and it mm. looks great. You know, it's a good version of it to get. That's the one I have. The commentary track is uh, really informative. Uh, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I need to listen to it. I haven't listened to it yet. Mm. Um, I don't remember. Is there isn't there like a, an interview or? Um, yeah, there's like a documentary on the life of Thomas More and, mm. you know, his trials. There's some historians talking about it. Mm. You know, you just get that kind of background on on him. Mm-hmm. Very uh, kind of TV tier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I will I mean, I say it's one of the best presentations. Of, mm. uh, I think it's one of the best Blu-rays I've seen of 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 its kind i think it's just yeah really faithful the colors really pop there's a real filmic quality to it mm. so yeah it's a bit of a joy yeah absolutely um so i think uh, that's about it for us yeah yeah it's um, pretty heavy going at times we got leather that's uh, that's a good episode for me when yeah, things get totally. heated up so um i think this is one of those episodes where i think it will split the audience uh, what you or like your reaction to the film um which uh, would happen between us as well. So, well, and I think it's totally. uh, it's always more interesting when there's a split, you know, because <laughs> oh, we're totally, not all agreeing yeah, yeah. on everything. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, but I, it's definitely a film that I would recommend watching uh, because it, just for the technical aspects alone, uh, this film is uh, quite amazing. So, 
Yeah, yep, it's totally. yep, yep. It's it's one of my all time favorite films. So you know, hmm. go go watch it if you haven't. Absolutely. Um, so what's going on with uh, your side of podcasting, Hunter? Oh, still doing the Midnight Movie Cowboys. Episodes aren't as frequent as they used to be, but we're still doing it. Um, <laughs> That's uh, relatable. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, I think. Um, but I think uh, you know I'm I'm thinking about starting another podcast uh, just as a fun solo thing. But you hmm. know, we'll we'll see where that goes. I'll uh, I'll let you guys know if anything happens with that. Great. What about yourself, Tom? I'm I'm literally just right finishing writing a. 20th anniversary look at Eyes Wide Shut Ooh. and mm. why and why it's really good and it's why. the best Kubrick movie it's my and favorite yes. film it's my favorite film about Jeffrey Epstein that I think <laughs> yeah, it, yeah well this is it this is it I, I'm, I'm watching it thinking like and I'm, I'm doing like a kind of a yeah it's the best film about jealousy I've ever seen mm. and I'm yeah going back to it after 20 years has been something of a revelation to be brutally honest with you mm. I've realized I've changed a lot in that time so mm. It's going to be quite a quite a long episode, I think, but uh, it does get quite personal. Yeah, I want to hear that one. Absolutely, it's it's an an interesting film. Yeah, and it's uh, it's surprising me, like how when I watched it, how through life experience has changed my view of a film, and made. And this sounds really weird, like you know when you you watch something. But I, I watched it at the time, and I didn't really. I sort of knew what I was seeing, but having experienced certain things since going back to it was mm. quite revelatory and hopefully once i've kind of finished writing it you'll, you'll see what i mean isn't it funny how just living a little bit of life can just totally alter fuck. your opinion on something <laughs> fuck mm. me like you would not believe i'm watching that film i was like oh shit and it's like when we were talking about off about marriage story um having been through a few split ups that film was brutal to watch brutal so uh yes. i'm embracing myself watching that one so yeah uh, yeah we shall see but yes it will be coming soon so excellent uh you can find us on mocast.blogspot.com and just search for mass of cinema cast at different socials and we should pop up so thank you hunter and tom for joining me thank you thanks and thank you listener and uh, until next time <laughs>